It is an honor this morning to, to be able to share the Word of God with us. Uh, Pastor Robert is away, officiating a wedding today, and so I got called out of the bullpen to come and share the Word of God, and it, it is an honor, and I'm, I'm thankful to be able to. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, you can turn over to Luke chapter 13 this morning. We're going to be we're going to be discussing this idea that we must live a more narrow life in this busy culture. We see that life is comprised of, of thousands of moments of decisions and habits in our lives. And by God's grace, our Lord has given us a template to use to react to each one of these moments, to each one of these decisions. And this template is the gospel, that we must apply the, the gospel to every. that that comes into our life, every decision, every moment that comes into our life for us to take every moment captive. And uh, what we're going to see as we walk through this passage, that life is busy, that life is broad, and that we can become captivated by the things of this world and completely ignore God's plan and promise to us. And so uh, this passage is going to remind us to slow down, to narrow our field of vision, and to focus on the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. So let's look at Luke chapter 13. We're going to begin in verse 22. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, And you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught us in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. Verse 29. And people will come from east and west and from the north and the south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. Let's pray together. Lord Father, we're so thankful for your word. And we're thankful this morning to be in a place where we can open your word and we can reflect upon it and we can ask, Lord, we can, we can plead that you would change our hearts, that you would mold and shape us, that you would draw, our closer, draw us closer to yourself, Lord, and that these words would, would not just be words, Lord, but they would be life. Lord, speak to our souls. Lord, may we live, leave this place this morning with a greater appreciation of your love and your grace and your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Luke chapter 13 takes place against this backdrop of the kingdom of God. And we, we see a central thing going all through scriptures of, of the kingdom of God. And uh, the, the kingdom is, is introduced and, and centered on this concept of repentance. And turn, which repentance is simply turning away from the desires of the culture and turning to Jesus. The kingdom is going to be comprised of people who love Jesus more than the cares and temptations of this world. In Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In Luke chapter 3, verse 3, we see this about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance 
for the forgiveness of sin. And John the Baptist says in John 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. And continuing in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see, but the wrath of God remains on him. As the kingdom arrives, Jesus portrays a picture of the kingdom that is rather unexpected. Kingdom demographics will depend upon devotion to Jesus, not, to devo- not devotion to a law or ethnicity or family. Jesus' message is, is very, very clear. Some who expect to be in the kingdom is far from the kingdom, and some who may believe that they are already there are, are actually uh, are not there, and that some who believe that they're far may actually be in the kingdom. We're going to see that, that kingdom demographics are not worldly demographics. They are tied to our devotion and our focus on Jesus. And so Luke chapter 13, we're going to get there in just a moment. Luke chapter 13 is going to communicate these two points that we need to keep in mind. True discipleship is challenging. And number two, although large crowds may gather to hear Jesus' teaching, very few will actually follow. So let's look into the passage. And this passage is going to communicate three very important things as we journey towards trying to narrow our lives and to be more focused on Jesus. In verse 22, this is what we see. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And this is going to bring us to our very first point. The narrow life begins at the cross. The passage says that Jesus approaches this man as he is journeying toward Jerusalem. One of the main themes of the book of of Luke is this theme of Jesus journeying towards the cross. And actually in in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we see that Jesus actually uh, put his face, he faced towards Jerusalem. He put his face towards Jerusalem to go towards the cross to uh, obtain salvation for, for us. Because of God's great love for us, He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come and and live the life that we should have lived and and to to die the death that we deserve to die. And this is going to be central to his purpose and and his mission in life. And and so what he does is he set his face toward Jerusalem and and from Luke chapter 9, verse 51 on forward, he is going to be journeying towards accomplishing that. And and our passage here in Luke 13 takes place within that. And the cross is at the very center of why we must live a more narrow life. We see in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, Paul tells us, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Having a more narrow way of thinking towards our faith is, and, and the center of, of that is really this understanding of wanting to experience peace, wanting to experience fullness in our life. And here Paul tells us that for us to, to have peace, for us to be able to have peace in life, that we, we can only attain peace through the beautiful blood of Jesus's cross. And uh, continuing on in, in verse uh, 23, we, we see this question come from this unidentified man. And someone said to him, Lord, Will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. And so this is Jesus' command to us in verse 24. Strive to enter through the narrow door. This is very complimentary of Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. It is, Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. As you're, as you're playing these passages through your head, you could be thinking about John 10, starting in verse 9, where Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says that he's the door. He's the way. He's the path. And he's wanting us to understand that that it, it is a very narrow way that leads to life in Christ. And it's a very broad and dangerous way that leads to destruction. And that the, the enemy is after us to steal us and to kill us and destroy us. But Jesus is there as the good shepherd to protect us, to stand at the door and be the door and, and keep out the enemy and enable us to have the life that he has designed for us to have. So we see that within this, if we are going to be protected and have peace and enjoy the salvation that God has for us, we must narrowly journey towards the cross to experience that. Continuing on in, in, verse, um, in verse 25, let me flip back over to, to Luke 13. I lost my place. In, uh, in Luke 25, we, we see this. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and, and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you came from. Then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. What we see here is that the way to Jesus is a narrow life and our time is narrow. Our time to live the narrow life is very, very narrow because what will happen is there will come a time when the master of the house will rise and he will come and he will shut the door. And this is imagery, this, this parable is telling us this story, this imagery of, of God at the end of time bringing about the kingdom and, and judging everyone based upon the, the reality of whether they have trusted and surrendered to Jesus or if they have lived the cares of the world. And so we see that our time is very narrow. And the, the scandal in all this, the scandal is not that God arranges the Christian life to be too difficult to follow, but rather the human heart creates so many idols for individuals to serve that they simply have too little time for Jesus. And this is the danger of not living the narrow life, that being, being torn away from our, our journey by the cares of the world. We, we see in the prophet Jeremiah's writings in Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our heart is an idol-making factory. We, we are constantly trying to figure out who are we going to worship next. And the gospel says that the only person for us to worship is this narrow path of worshiping Jesus. And one of the, one of the most heart-wrenching stories in all the gospel, I think, is, is in Matthew chapter 19, we're introduced to the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus explains to him what he must do. And we're told when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. For this young man, his possessions had become his God. And he had so many of them that he could not react and could not respond to the gospel in a way that would warrant him to have salvation. And he, he shows us in, in this moment of, of what his care is. And his, his desires are broad. 
He is journeying down the broad path that is leading to destruction, and he is not wanting to go down the narrow path that leads to life. And so we see a couple of points within this, that our time to be faithful is now. Our time to be faithful is now. In James 4, we see that life is a vapor. It's just a mist, that it goes by very, very quickly. And the psalmist tells us in Psalm 90 that, so, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 3, but exhort one another. Every day, as long as it is called the day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We must take every moment captive to be faithful to the Lord and to live for him because our, our moments, our time is, is fleeting. And I, I think in this, we can also understand that our moment to share and invite people to the gospel is now. If, if the master of the house is soon going to be closing the door, then we don't have much time. The picture that we're going to see in a moment is, is everyone from east, north, east and west and north and south. We can see uh, people from all nations all over the world sitting at the marriage supper of the Lamb, sitting at this great eschatological banquet. We see this beautiful picture of everyone worshiping Jesus in the new heavens and the new earth. And, and we want to make sure that people we walk among every day, that we brush shoulders with every day, we want to see people a part of that. We don't want to see anyone miss out when the master of the house rises and shuts the door. Our moment to share and invite people to the gospel is now. We don't want to become better evangelists sometime in the distant future. Our our time to become better inviters and sharers is is now. Time's our greatest commodity, and time is is very difficult to to come up with. I I saw this email the other day. So uh, when we lived in the upstate, we were part of this little app called the Next Door app. And some of you may have it. It's basically a Facebook for your neighborhood. And you can go on this app and you can complain about your HOA or if you've lost your dog, you can, you can do that. Or if someone's broken into your car, you can tell everybody about it. And, and uh, I got this email the other day and uh, this 12-year-old girl was wanting to find a job. And this is what her ad basically said. She said, hi, I'm a 12-year-old girl, almost 13, and I am wanting to find a part-time job so that I can raise money for my volleyball fees. And she said, I I can pet sit, I can babysit, I can house sit. She can can sit anything you need sitting. She can do it. And, And she said, I'm available pretty much every day, except Tuesday, except Thursday, except Wednesday, not available on Friday, usually have volleyball Saturday and Sunday. She should have worded that. I'm basically available only on Monday. But she didn't. She said, I'm available pretty much every day except six of them. And, and this is the reality in which our students live. Our, our, our students get up. They eat breakfast, maybe. They go to school. They go to an extracurricular. They come home. They eat dinner. They do their homework. And they go to bed. And then they start the same cycle all over again. And that's to prepare them to, to be adults. And adults are going to do the same thing. They're going to wake up, eat breakfast, go to work, come home, eat dinner, uh, go to bed, and start the whole day over again. And so this is the reality in which this is the pace of our culture. And so what we have to do is be very, very intentional to focus and, and allow our lives to be more narrow so that we can live the life that God has designed us to live. So usually in our culture, narrow is usually regrettable, such as having narrow options or being narrow-minded. Our, our culture values openness, the, the free market, autonomy, and, and control. And uh, spiritually, our culture loves universalism. That uh, if you believe in heaven, you can go there if you just practice whatever you believe uh, to, to its fullest. 
Um, you can believe whatever you want to believe. If, if it can be true just for you if you want it to be true. And that's what our, our culture loves to believe. Even in our homes, we like to have open floor plans. You know, we, we like choices when we go out to eat. We, uh, the, the Coke Freestyle machine at, at some restaurants has over 125 flavors of cola. We experience over 35,000 daily decisions and habits. And researcher Barry Schwartz calls this choice overload. And what researchers are finding, they're discovering that choices do not necessarily correlate to satisfaction and, and, and choices are likely complicating our lives. And increased choices require increased time and effort and can lead to anxiety and regret, excessively high expectations and self-blame if the choices do not work out. And uh, Schwartz, in one study, he told about this little experiment that was conducted in a grocery store. Researchers set up two displays of jams at a gourmet food store for customers to try samples. On, on two different days, uh, they set up these, this selection of jams, and they were given a coupon for a dollar off if they wanted to buy these jams. And so on one day, they, they set up 24 samples, and then on the next day, they set up six samples of jams. And what happened was, was interesting. 30% of people exposed to the smaller selection bought a jam, but only 3% of those exposed to a larger selection did. And so what they found out, the people that had, the, had less to choose from were actually more likely to purchase the product. And this is baffling researchers. I, I read a, an article in which a writer tells of a similar experience. She says, Amazon sells 1,161 kinds of toilet brushes. I know this because I recently spent an evening trying to choose one of them for the bathroom in my new apartment. Nearly an hour later, after reading countless contradictory reviews and pondering far too many choices, I felt grumpy and tired, and I simply gave up. The next day, I happily bought the only toilet brush the local dollar store offered. I I had a a similar experience yesterday. I I went to my local CVS. I've been out of deodorant now for about four weeks. And so uh, I went to my local CVS, and uh, I, I spent about 25 minutes sniffing deodorant uh, to try to decide what to get. And, and here, listen, y'all, what, ha- what is said in the second service stays in the second service. I'm going to let you in a little bit on, on my life. So what happens is, this happens all the time. I run out of deodorant, and, and I, I don't get around to going and purchasing more. So I, I actually use my wife's deodorant for a little while just to get by. Anybody else? Anybody man enough to admit Chris is shaking his head. Yeah. I got this idea from Chris. I didn't know what to do. But anyway, uh, so I, I actually forget. By the time I actually get around to, to purchasing deodorant, I actually forget what flavor <laughs> or scent of deodorant that, that I got last time. And so I end up spending 25 or 30 minutes sniffing deodorant and getting a headache from it to figure out. And because the choices are, are, are too many. Choices are ruining our lives. So uh, Herbert Simon says... A wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. And this is the plague that our culture has. We are plagued with the inability to pay attention. Carnegie Mellon uh, did a recent study that says the average office worker is distracted every 3 to 11 minutes. And it can take up to 25 minutes to regain attention. And so what this has done, this has brought a movement about in our culture uh, towards minimalism. There's a movement called the uh, minimalist movement. I had a hard time saying it. You can, you can research it at becomingminimalist.com and they give us a few suggestions to living more minimal lives. First one is uh, turn off our phone notifications. You know, the little vibrator being whenever, whenever you get a text or an email or, or Instagram notification or anything like that. Just turn those off because we check our phones every six minutes. 
these roads here, it's probably a little more often. Probably a little more often than six minutes. I know I check mine more than every six minutes. Uh, number two, eliminate physical and digital clutter. I have over 200 unread, unread text messages, and it drives Philip absolutely crazy. He, he doesn't know how to do it. But eliminate physical and digital clutter. Uh, three, read and answer email only twice a day. That's what they're saying. Do not be distracted by, by your inbox every, every few minutes. Read, read and check email twice a day. Number four, become a morning person. Henry Ward Beecher says the first hour of the day is the rudder of the day. The first hour is the rudder of the day. And um, our, uh, our friend Travis, who's going to be preaching for us on Saturday night on our uh, spring retreat in, in April, uh, Travis Agnew, he's a pastor in the upstate, and he uses this app called Todoist. And uh, it's basically, it's a, it's a to-do list, basically. And you just plug in your entire day, everything that you need to do, and, and you mark off the things when you accomplish them. And it will actually track your productivity. It will tell you when you are most productive. And he put that up the other day on Facebook. And he is most productive between the hour of 6 and 7 a.m. And uh, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of occasions where I'm still sleeping during that time. And, and so what a lot of researchers are telling us, if we're going to be more productive during our day, we have to begin earlier. We, and so I, I looked like he had productivity at 5 a.m. And that meant he was probably up earlier than that. Uh, I'm meeting with him really soon to, to talk about our, fall re- or our spring retreat. And he sent me this link uh, to make an appointment with him. And so I get to see all this schedule and everything. And he is a very busy guy, but he... He is doing what we must do. We, we in all, all of us, in our own stories, we are busy to some degree or another, and we have to take captive of our schedule so that we can live the life that God has designed for us so that we can be productive in his kingdom. Um, the, the last thing that they recommend is unplugging the, the TV or reducing our usage of TV consumption. Uh, they, they say that on average, the average American spends 37 to 40 hours a week uh, watching TV. I, I don't know if that's really that accurate now. I think most of us are are in front of our phones or on tablets uh, more of that time and we're, we're consuming TV on, on our phones or tablets. But you may not be able to become a minimalist, but our goal, our goal in the midst of this distracted culture is to train our heart's affections toward minimalism, toward an ever-increasing focus and meditation and devotion on Jesus. So I, ultimately, our spiritual formation and spiritual disciplines are actually very simple. I would, I would even call them primitive. Our, what God has called us to spiritually has not changed over the last 2,000 years. Simple, simply reading the Bible and, and having a prayer relationship with God and meditating on Scripture, memorizing Scripture. If, if they can do it on the little house on the prairie, it's very, very simple. We, and, and we can do it too. But what happens is we, we have to be intentional in our lives and narrowing our lives so that, that we can accomplish it, so that we can do it. Drawing a little closer to the end here, we see this joyous passage towards the end in verse 29. We see this picture of what the new heavens and the new earth are going to be like. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. We see this beautiful picture of people who have surrendered to the grace of Jesus, sitting at this marriage supper of the Lamb, sitting at this big banquet that symbolizes our entry into the new heavens and the new earth. And this brings us to our very last point, that the plan of the gospel is narrow, but the invitation of the gospel is wide. That the gospel is for all people. That it doesn't matter 
the color of your skin or your socioeconomic level. And, and it's, it's amazing in our culture, uh, diversity is celebrated constantly in, in every avenue of life. And what's so unique is, is that the New Heavens and New Earth, are, they're going to be the most diverse place that we can imagine. And, it, and it's, it's beautiful to see diverse churches because this is what heaven is going to look like. This is what heaven is going to look like. But, but to get there, to get there, we have to make sure that we are not distracted by the busiest busyness of this world. Busyness is a part of life, but at the very least, we must build into our lives enough narrow focus to do what the psalmist tells us in, in Psalm 46, to be still and know that he is God. We have to look out into a culture that is not still, and we have to be still. We have to look out into a culture that is very, very busy and, and, and build a little time of, of unbusyness in our schedule so that we can pursue Jesus. One of my favorite quotes from maybe all of church history is this from Augustine. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We look out into a culture of restlessness. Some, maybe years ago, they called it the rat race of trying to keep up and trying to pursue whatever they're looking for. And we see from St. Augustine that we are going to continually be restless until we find our hearts in Christ. So this is very unique, I think, about our faith, that God is glorified when we have an entire world of pleasure and sin to momentarily enjoy, but we turn to the narrow path of devotion to Jesus. And so somewhere within God's providence, when he was creating all of us in his image, he inserted a little bit of free will into our lives. And so what happens in all of that, God realized that he is more glorified when free-thinking human beings choose him against a world of choices. And he he understands that that he's glorified more when we follow him instead of if we were like robots. And so the entire Old Testament is is about this, I think. We look in the Garden of Eden, and God said, you can have all the choices of this garden, but, but not this one, not, not this one at all. And, and so what happens immediately, Adam and Eve partook of the, the choice that they should not have. And so what we see after that is that choices become a really, really bad thing all throughout our history up until the time of Christ. And so uh, what happens is people would not follow the way People would not follow the narrow way that God had designed for them. They would not follow the law. They would not follow the God of Israel. They would not follow the prophets. And so what God did in his providential timing and love for us is that he sent Jesus into the world to live a perfect life that we should have lived and to die a death that we deserve to die for us. So that's why we get to this narrow life is is focused on the cross of Jesus But we also see that he sent Jesus into time and space. He sent Jesus into our world that time exists. And so we see that that our time is very narrow in which we are to live faithfully the Christian life and to share the gospel with other people. And we are facing this beautiful time in which Jesus will return and we will enter into the new heavens and the new earth. And so God is glorified when we have a world of options to pursue, but we pursue him. We pursue him because he gives us life. And we're going to end with this last passage in 2 Peter 1, verse 3. 
His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Peter's essentially telling us that Jesus is enough, that Jesus is enough for us in this life as we look out into a culture that offers us a lot of things, that Jesus is sufficient and efficient enough for all of our desires. We, we see from John 10 that, God had, that Jesus has come to give us abundant life and we can find that life in him His divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And we accomplish that through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. And this is the challenge of life, to live as God has designed us in in a culture that I really do not think God had really designed for us to live in. And and the reality is this world of sin is, is messy. But the gospel is available to us, the story of what God has done for us. And God's grace is ever-present, and he is enough. This narrow life is enough for our joy and for his glory. Let's pray together. Lord, Father, we love you. Lord, we love your word. We're so thankful for for you, Jesus. For you, Lord, in, in your providence of sending Jesus to earth to live the life that that we should have lived, that we didn't. And Lord, we pray that that we would rearrange our lives daily, Lord. That we would rearrange our focus. That at the center of our lives would, would be you and that we would celebrate this beautiful story of what you have done for us. Lord, that you would daily renew us and Lord, that we would spend moments of our day focused on you in prayer and Bible study, Lord, and that the moments in which we are able to spend time in Bible fellowship at our, at our church or in a small group, Lord, would, would be precious to us. Lord, lead us all to take captive every thought and to take control of our schedules, Lord, so that we have time for you so that we can spend eternity in your presence later. Lord, in just a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. And if there's anyone in this room this morning that has never surrendered to your grace. Lord, I pray that they would come forward. If there's anyone here this morning that would like to join our faith family, Lord, I pray that you would lead them forward as well. Lord, I ask that you would send us from this place, Lord, enjoying your presence and committed to taking control of our schedules for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.